Romans 13. And uh, we are going to start the next section here in the issues of our reasonable service and the uh, will of God concerning our reasonable service in connection to uh, the issue here now of human government. Verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And we come here to uh, a uh, section here where we're going to talk about human government. And it's, uh, very, uh, it's very timing-wise, really, because we're in kind of an uh, election season right now with the midterms and everything here currently. But when you think about our reasonable service in connection here to human government, and again, reasonable service is that well-thought-out, deliberate purpose that where we have made the choice to present our bodies that living sacrifice. Not reasonable in that it's the natural thing, because honestly, everything that Paul has told us so far is very unnatural. Uh, it goes against our flesh to act and behave the way we do. We are to do, but now when we talk about human government, it's even more so. Verse, uh, verse 1, let's read uh, verse 1 to 7 here. This is the section. We're going to introduce it this morning, um, and we're, in verse 1 we'll introduce it here, and then we'll get into the details over the coming weeks, the next two weeks at least, because... Uh, this is a heavy subject. It's a subject of great consternation for a lot of people. And it's because of your flesh is why, honestly. And when you look at what Paul is not saying and then look at what he is saying, you quickly realize that your response to the government has been probably wrong. It has not been a reflection of how God views human government. So we'll get into that. Verse 1, let every soul, soul be subject unto, unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For... For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attend, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now again, we're, we'll see, that's a, you know, you read that and you go, yeah, okay, but. Well, guess what, there's no buts here, okay? And that's why when you, we have to learn here our reasonable service in regards to human government. And first of all, the question is, is why is he even talking about human government? We just are learning about body life and we're learning about our interaction with each other and we're learning about our reasonable service and we're learning about the will of God. And then he throws this thing about human government in here. And really, it, it, it's, it is a connection to the end of chapter 12. Look at chapter 12. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice how he ends the chapter 12, dealing with the believer's relationship with the enemy. And again, that enemy is someone who is unjustly attacking you because of who you are in Christ, because of your belief. The chapter ends by exhorting the believer to, again, via the renewed mind, 
to value and to esteem and to think about the enemy the way God does. How does God think about that enemy? And again, you have to remember, we are called upon to purposefully hold and esteem the same way that God does. Have the same opinion that God has. Have the same viewpoint that God has. And when we do that, how, what is that? What is the issue with the enemy? Well, it's he's gonna. It's not my place to avenge that. It's his job. Okay. Today, in the age of grace, he's not dealing out wrath. Why? There is a day of wrath coming, and he'll take. So we and we went. We we looked at that. What's God's attitude toward that enemy? Well, first they need to get saved, don't they? And then they need to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if that's If that's my attitude to be that way, now when Paul talks here about human government and he begins to transition to the human government issue, we need to be mindful that oftentimes when we talk about the enemy, we could also be talking about the government being the enemy. Well, then how then are we to view that? So, Chapter 12 ends about the enemy and our response to the, in, to the evil attacks of the enemy. And then he transitions here into human government because what if the government becomes the enemy of the believer? And we're, we'll, we're really, that's a natural transa- transition out of chapter 12 and into chapter 13. So, the, by the way, your enemy might use the government in trying to persecute you, attack you, to bring the evil on you. So we shouldn't be alarmed here when Paul moves out of the issues about the enemy and how we're how to have that proper response, how to have that reflection, resemblance of how God views the enemy. By the way, God has no enemies today. We looked at that last time. God says grace and peace. And he says, and by the way, world, you're not my enemy. I love you. I loved you. I died for you. I provided the answer for you and so forth. So we're going to have to learn our responsibility, our response back to the, towards human government. So really the question as we start here is how does God view human government? And that is the issue. That becomes the issue. Uh, again, some you, you'll hear a lot of different people talk about human government, and a lot of people, oh, you know, the government, they're evil. You know that Paul never suggests that the government is evil? He never says that. See? He never says this type of government is better than that type of government. Communism, socialism, capitalism, democracy, republic. He doesn't say any of that. He Rather, he says, here's how the Father views government. Here's God's perspective. You see, from the very beginning here, it's critical that we are reminded that we are to view government the way that God views government. Therefore, we need to respond and react to government (laughs) the same way that God would have us do that. So as we begin chapter 13, this next step in our reasonable service as believers, and he begins to talk here about human government, well, what's the will of God for me concerning human government? And again, it goes back to 12.2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good. And again, that good, that there's a purpose to it, there's a design to it. We look back in Genesis 1, and when he creates, he says, it's good. It's good, not, not in that it was perfect and, was, you know, and, and so forth. It was that, but, that, but rather it's good in that it's, it's got a purpose to it. It's acceptable. Because God says it's good, there's a purpose to it, my job is to believe it. My job is to, by faith, walk and act in it and take it on. 
then that then it becomes perfect. There's a maturing of me in, in my inner man. And when we come and we talk here about human government, he has a deliberate design for government, human government. So we're now to react by faith. We accept that. We believe that. We, this stuff about government, it really gets down to you, want, you need to believe what God says about it. And, we, and nine out of ten of us don't want to do that because we want, some, we want a scapegoat. We want to have a way out of the issue. And rather, it isn't. What does he say about government? And we're going to look at this you know, over, the, over here probably next week when we talk about the higher powers. But when you look at the issue of government, the issue isn't, well, they're evil, and because he never says they're evil, okay? Rather, he says, here's God's view of it. And since it's his goodwill that it's there and it's got a design to it, then it's worthy of our acceptance of believing it. And when, again, even if you hate government or it openly hates you, there's a reaction that we're to have and that is, what is God's view of it? And you see that with the Apostle Paul, and we see it greatly there. So when we, we're to look beyond the immediate issue in front of us, and we're to see the broader picture, you think about the different types of government that are out there. China, Communist Party. Well, Paul never says the, the communists are bad. He never says the republics are bad. He never says democracy is bad. He, but he never says it's good either. See? By the way, if you look there at verse 3, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. There's something very specific that God has designed government to deal with. And again, the issue is the issue of God, this is, God has a design to it. And when we look beyond what the immediate government is doing or might not be doing or maybe it should be doing more, or you think about North Korea, think about the territory, the governments in the world where you can't openly worship and you can't openly do. I mean, you can't, even in Great Britain, you, you're very restricted in what you can do now and today. Why? Because they've had a shift in their governmental philosophy. So as you look beyond that, and we begin to view government in the way that God has designed it, then we begin to maybe have a different attitude, a different reaction to it. Now, again, this is where I'll hear the buts. If the government does this or that, then, well, what then begins to happen is you're no longer applying this passage, okay? You think about even in our own country, the marriage issue, what, it, what it, Roe v. Wade just now, all that stuff. So if you say anything about same-sex marriage or any of that, you're the bad guy. Well, but, but, no, you know, Paul never talks about type. He never talks about the people in the offices. He, never, he just says God has a design in human government, and what we need to do is we need to understand that design. And when we do, then we can have, no matter what government you find yourself under or living in, you can come over with me to Acts 16. You can live... And you can deal with it, and you can do it the way that God would have you to do it, okay? Now, in our governmental system right now, you can protest and do all that. You know, Paul never says, go protest the government. He never says any of that. Now, our flesh says that, doesn't it? Oh, well, you know, my Second Amendment rights, you know, and off you go. Well, I believe in the Second Amendment. <laughs> I got a garage full of it, okay? But the thing... Not really, but I wish. <laughs> but the thing is, is it, Paul never says it. Scripture never says that. Now, there are times when the government does step in and overstep, and there is a 
proper response by the believer to a government that oversteps. And we'll look at that uh, next time. Look at, uh, you got Acts 16, okay? So Romans 13, context, 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 all right? Well, part of that context is a historical context of when Paul wrote to the saints at Rome, okay? What government was Paul under? Well, he was under Roman government. He was under Nero. Nero was a bad man. Nero was bad. He, he just, he killed his own mom. That's what a great guy he was, okay? But the thing is, is notice something here. Let's just look at the historical context for a little bit. You got Acts 16, right? Think about Paul. He's our pattern. He's our apostle. And I know, well, Paul was a great, you know, Paul was just like you and me, you know? He had bad days. He had good days. He was up. He was down. He, he got up, put his pants on the same way you do, and ate his breakfast. And did, he worked just like you and I do. Now, he has a special place in the dealings of the, of the Godhead. But just look here. Look at Acts 16. Now, in Acts 16, you've got Paul up. He's been, uh, he's been ministering. He's been going at it here, verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone. So verse 16 as the context. And he came to pass as we went to prayer, Acts 16, 16. A certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her master much gain by soothsaying. So if there's gain, what are we talking about? We're talking about money, aren't we? That's what we're talking about, verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Now, watch what's happening here. Paul and Silas are out doing ministry. They're out preaching Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again. They, they run up against a religious outfit. So what's Paul do? Well, goes after the religious outfit. But they're losing their offering box, aren't they? <laughs> they're losing their money bag. So what do they do? What do they not do? They don't attack Paul on religious grounds. Okay? Because they know they'll lose. So what do they do? They go drag them. Verse 19, into the marketplace unto the rulers. Now, these rulers aren't the Jewish rulers in the synagogue. Who are they? They're the magistrates. Verse 20, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Inst they're being economically impacted, so instead of dealing with them on the grounds of casting out devils and all that, you know, you go back up there and you read the, the, the thing. They go and drag them in front of the, the law, the government, and they're going to use the government to do their dirty work, to shut Paul and Silas down, okay? So this is not a religious attack. This is a political attack. This is a governmental attack. This, the rulers, the magistrates, our city. What are they accusing Paul of, of doing here? It's called insurrection. Okay? They're, they're accusing Paul of, first of all, not being a Roman. They're what? They're Jews. See? And we're Romans. It's not lawful for us to receive these customs here. So they take legal action. So the government... The, the, the rulers, the magistrates are being dragged into the controversy as those, by those who are having the out with Paul and the government now begins to be used to do the attack because what do they do with them? And the multitude, verse 22, rose up together against them and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safe. And what do you got? You get the Philippian jailer there in, verse, in the following verses, 25 and following. But what had happened there? What did they do? They beat, they beat them. 
right there to rip, boom, and put them to, put them to it. No trial, no fourth and eight and ten and fifteen appeals. Instant what? The law says this, boom, that's what you get. Now, notice something though, the iron the, the <laughs> verse 37. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly. Look at that. Uncondemned. There was no proof of insurrection. They didn't investigate it out. They just came to a, well, they said it, so it's got to be real. Bam. Now keep reading. Being Romans and have cast us into prison and, endowed, and now do verily thrust us out privately. Oh, look at that. Oh, we made a mistake. Let's just put, hide it, sweep it under the You see, but Paul, what did Paul do? He appealed to his rights as a what? As a Roman citizen, because that's who he was. Paul here, you see how the government got pulled into the fray? And they were being used to attack Paul and Silas here because of what they believed and what they were preaching. And by the way, they... Nay, verily, verse 37, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were, oh, we didn't do our job, guys. We didn't investigate it out. We just reacted because our city was in an uproar. You know, you guys see this, that little incident at the school here in, the, in Phoenix and everything, and the parents got all upset. And the parents went at them, and they got tased and put And you know what? They should. Why? Because you don't do that in a lockdown. Well, now the poor police department's having to do what? Defend itself because they got dragged into the court of public opinion. Not reality, not facts, but, you know, and, and I get it as a parent. I've been in those lockdowns. It's not fun. You know, you got to wait it out. But what do you have to do? You got to... There's a, there's a rule there. There's a government there for a reason. Come over to Acts 17. Acts 17. I've got like eight, nine pages of notes here, so we'll just go as far as we can go, okay? But I just want you to see, because when we talk about human government, we talk about the government and politics and poli the emotions get welled up. You know, January 6th, right, 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 you know, so what? Who cares? Because... What they're accusing didn't happen. If January 6th was really an insurrection, it would have happened. And it wouldn't have happened with sticks and, and bricks. It would have been guns and ammo. Great magazine, by the way. Okay. No, but so, okay, but, but what is it? It's the charge of. So look at Acts or, uh, 17. Look at verse 6. Acts 17. Actually, you've got to start in verse 5. But the Jews, they're at Thessalonica, verse 1, verse 5. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. What are they doing? Now, this isn't Paul. This is poor Jason. But Paul's there. What'd they do? They went down and got the mafia, the lewd men of the base resorts. They went and got the drug cartel. You got to put these guys out of business. And here, here's their address. But they didn't just do that. They got the whole city going on. Now, what is a politician? He doesn't like bad press. Is there ever really bad press with a politician? You know, what is that? What did they always say? Never waste a good crisis, right? Well, but what do you got? You got the whole city up in an uproar about these guys. Verse 6, and when they found them not, they drew Jason. See, they found them not. They're after Paul and Timothy and Silas and the group. They didn't find them. Jason had them down in the, in the basement under lock. I don't know where he had them, but they weren't there. But what'd they do? Well, that wasn't enough. They got to get their blood, don't they? They got to get their pound of skin, so they grabbed Jason. And certain brethren under the city uh, uh, drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. No, notice that cry, just that over-exaggeration. You thought it was new now. 
It's been going on since Adam and Eve. Could you imagine Adam? It was the woman you gave me. Oh, man. You know, and Eve goes, hey, that, the devil made me do it, you know. And yeah, that just said, oh, no, look, these guys, look at the, oh, verse 7, whom Jason hath received, and these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Now, notice verse 7 very carefully, because what are they saying that Jason and Paul and those guys are saying? That there's another king, Jesus. You got to watch, look at the accusation here. Jason never called Jesus king. In all of Paul's epistles, he never calls Jesus Christ king, but in one passage. Paul always calls the, the, Jesus Lord. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes that he is king of kings. Okay? By the way, it's interesting that in 2 Timothy, he's put to death. After making the proclamation that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is king of kings, real closely, he's, he's what? Put to death. Why? Because it's a charge of insurrection. An insurrection, they're guilty. He's, they have leveled a legal charge of insurrection. Now, the government is not the enemy here. Who's the enemy? The Jews there. They're, but what did they do? They went and enlisted the government because they can't beat them on religious grounds. Okay? So they laid the accusation. Now, watch verse 8. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason... And of the others, they let them go. You see that taking security? Jason made bail. So they got to let him go. Here's the, okay, you're, you're, he, he posted bail. And again, the issue here is the legal issue that's been raised. Jason has been legally charged with the allegation of saying that Jesus is king. By the way, you know what Paul's answer is? 13.1, let every soul be subject to. Wait a minute. It's all wrong. The government's wrong. The government this. No. The government's not the enemy. Come over to chapter 18. You see, there's, a, a, there's an attitude. There's a viewpoint that we're to have toward it. Now, is the government doing wrong? Sure, they are. They're persecuting an innocent man. But that's not the point. That's not even the issue in chapter 13. The issue in chapter 13 of Romans is God has a design for human government. And it's good, acceptable, and perfect. He's got an issue here for government ruling the governmental rule, the order in the universe, the order in creation has to be established. Chapter 18, verse 12. I, this one's great. I, this, this is fantastic here. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, the thing is, is you've got to remember about Rome, okay? I, I did a little Google. Rome had legalized Judaism. Judaism in Rome was a legal religion because it had been there. Rome was a great, great country on antiquity because it had always been there, so the antiquity of it makes it legitimate. But Rome also had many gods, and they would come in, and they would take over, and they would just assimilate that, those people's gods in. Okay? So, what happened was Judaism was rolling, but then up pop, pops who? Paul and this offshoot of Judaism called Christianity, and we can't have that. So they made Christianity what? Illegal. That's what he's doing here. That's what they're saying. These guys are, they're worshiping God contrary to the what? The law. And the law here is not the Mosaic law. 
It's the law of Rome. Because where are they at? They're at the judgment seat. They're, they're, we're in legal, we're in, the, we're in the government. Gallio, he's a Roman, he's a Gentile. And the charge of insurrection is laid against them again. They're, they're stirring, they're, they're a problem. We don't, we don't agree with their methods. So you need to do something about it. But now watch Gallio, verse 14. And when Peter was now about to open, I'm sorry, when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, Look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them, drove the, drave them from the judge. You know what he says? This isn't a Roman law problem. This is your own problem. You guys go work it out on your own. And he judged Judy to kick them out. You just go down there. But the, the attempt, what I want you to see here is the attempt. Come over to 2 Timothy 2. The attack against Paul was to, they couldn't beat him scripturally. They couldn't beat him in the religious arguments. So what'd they do? They go and they enlist the government. They use the government to be a part of the attack. Well, can the government themselves be the enemy? Well, sure they can be. Can they be used? Sure. Again, what's Paul's answer? Be subject to it. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Notice that as an evildoer, he's been charged with insurrection. He's been charged with causing unrest. He's a problem maker. He's disrupting the social order of our city. So what did they do? They threw him in jail. He got labeled with that Christian. By the way, Nero began to really attack the Christians um, after he burned their, he burned the synagogue down. He did it. And he needed a scapegoat, so he said the Christians did it. <laughs> and he went after him. Yeah, it's fascinating to, to read some of the... And this is, you know, people who are just looking at the histor history. Over 30 years, Paul clocked up around 10,000 miles traveling across the Roman Empire. He preached in some of the empire's most important cities. Although, pla uh, all, although places like Ephesus and Philippi, Corinth, look... And Athens looked magnificent. They were also homes of tens of thousands of poor. That meant they had, he just, despite its growing popularity, Christianity was sometimes misunderstood and membership could bring enormous risk. While criti widely criticized after the great fire of Rome in 64 AD, the emperor Nero tried to divert attention away from his own failings by pro providing an easy scapegoat. The Christians. By the way, that's PBS for you in their the Roman Empire first century stuff. It just it's fa but yet what is Paul's? What is our response to be? Let every soul be subject to. Second Timothy two nine. What is he? He's been He's been suffering trouble. At, he's not an evil doer. When he makes his appeal to Caesar. And he goes in there, he, he, he lays it out for Felix, he lays it out on Agrippa, he lays it out on, I haven't done anything. The problem is, is they're using your courts, your law, for a religious active issue. And he lays it out for them. Second, look at chapter 4, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 16. 416, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their... At my first answer. First answer to who? The, 
the Roman government, the charge. And I'll be honest with you, when you, I've read some stuff about the Roman Empire and their legal system. It's nothing like what we have. Sometimes they didn't even give them a first hearing. They just passed judgment, i.e., what, what did those guys do over there? To, they, Paul and Silas, they beat them right off the bat, threw them in jail. Then they find out later they're Romans and they're trying to keep it quiet. <laughs> keep it out of the newspaper. Don't let it on the Internet. What does he do here? He says, hey, my first answer to the government, no man stood with me. What was he accused of being? A troublemaker, an insurrectionist. And yet he says, no, the Lord was with me. I'm good to go. Come over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, verse 13. I don't know if you've ever read this verse and wondered why he needs a lawyer. Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Why does Paul need a lawyer? Send Zenos over. Why does he need a lawyer? He's got a, he's got a legal action against him. He's, he's in the midst of a legal battle over a religious idea and a religious argument. So when you come back to Romans 13, the first place you have to begin, and again, for time-wise, we'll... we'll is that historical context. Paul historically faced a government that hated him, that hated what he was preaching and teaching, but not because it was insurrection, but because the Jews were getting all riled up, and they didn't want that. They wanted that con so you've got the historical issue. Now, in Romans 13, verse 1, what Paul is, was experienced, when Paul experienced a legal attack. Now, in this country, we haven't had that yet. If the Lord tarries, it may be. Who knows? So then what, again, is our response? What's our, our, what is our thinking to be? It's, well, it's to resemble, it's to mirror, it's to be the exact same thinking of God himself. Let every soul be subject to, unto the higher powers. He, Paul's been through it. You know, Paul never one time said, guys, rally the troops and let's march on Washington. Or Rome, sorry, would have been Rome. He never says that. He doesn't say, guys, when they have the march, you get in there and make sure you're scared. He never says that. He just says, I'm here. I'm dealing with it. I got my lawyer team with me, and we're just plodding right along. And in the end, let God be true and every man a liar. And that's what will be found out. And I'll be honest with you, the, some of the reason you can have that, under, uh, that relaxed attitude, if you will, is one, that's what God tells you to do. But two, is the government really getting away with anything in the end? Not at all. The great white throne judgment will, will take care of them. So what does that do? That brings us back into chapter 12. What did we learn? Avenge not. Vengeance is mine. I'll get. So when you think about, when you begin to take how God is teaching us and telling us, educating us in our reasonable service concerning the will of God and these relationships that we have, when we look at the government, we shouldn't get all fired up. We should be just relaxed. So 13.1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. By, by the way, let every soul. Verse 2, whosoever. This goes for everybody, lost and saved. Okay? Now, for you and I, it becomes an inner man issue, this, our soul. But really, he's talking to everybody. He's got everybody covered. Now, come over to 1 Timothy 2. And just notice, watch Paul here about the subject to unto higher powers. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. There's the higher power that ye may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If you pray for all men, 
especially for those in the higher power, the higher the government, the authority, then you're going to lead. You're taking the lead on a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If you're out leading the revolt, no quietness, no peace. You might as, don't even tell them you're a believer because you're really destroying the testimony that God wants the world to know about his attitude toward the world, which is grace and peace. What are you putting on display? Wrath and war. Now, by the way, I'll just say this because I just thought about it. Paul never got walked all over by the government, okay? He, he stood his ground. What did he do there in Acts 16? Hey, wait a minute. You guys beat us unjustly. We're Romans. Here's my passport. You see, he used the system because the system is there to be used. He doesn't let them walk over. Somebody asked me one time when the women preacher thing was going on and the women were, you know, this is back, what, early 2000s? Well, are you going to have women be pastors at Southwest Bible? I said, no, because Scripture says no. Well, what if they do? What if the government comes in and says you've got to lose your 5013C and you're standing as a church? I said, then we lose it. <laughs> we're not going to violate Scripture just because you say I have to. Okay? Well, we'll just become an LLC or something. I don't know. We'll do something else. You know, we'll pay taxes is what we have to do. We won't do anything. We'll just be the church in the park or something, you know, go underground, whatever. See, the, but the response isn't marching, you know. What does he say? Pray. If you pray, Paul never once exhorts or encourages the believer to, to rise up or oppose the government. He says, pray for them. For this is good. Here it is, an acceptable, verse 3, in the sight of God our Savior. What's good and acceptable? That you're what? Praying for all those in authority. That you're subject to. But also, verse 4, who will, here's the will of God, have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What, what, has, what needs to happen to those people that are in those offices? They need to be saved. So Paul never, he he never says, well, no. He says, wait a minute. What you need to do is remember chapter 12, verse 19 of Romans, and the issue of vengeance belongs to God. Right now, God's view is, is I have a good and acceptable and perfect will regarding the believer's response to human government. As evil as it may be, or not as evil as it may be, Sometimes government can let too much go. And then now you're on that pendulum back and forth. And you're, we're to be, come over to Titus 3, right in the middle there. Well, you know, I, I can just hear it. Well, what if the government hates you? Well, you know what, then what did you do to cause it to hate you? You know? Well, no, no, not paying my taxes. Well, what, is, what does the book say? What does Romans 13 say? You better pay your taxes. Well, I'm in jail. Why are you in jail? I didn't pay my taxes. Well, no kidding, duh. That's what the rule says. You know, great testimony for Christ. Woohoo. Anyway, Titus 3. See how emotionally it can get? It just boom. You know, by the way, Donald Trump. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. You know, anyway, Titus 3, invasion of Mar-a-Lago, guns at noon. It's like, come on, really? You know, it was 3-1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Here we go. To speak evil of no man. Uh-oh, how are you doing? On our poor president as he stumbles down the stairs and falls off the bike. You know, come on. Really? I feel sorry for the guy. I honestly do. I think the, my own personal private opinion is that his wife ought to be taken out and hung and shot for allowing him to run. She could have stopped him, but she didn't. She should have. Now, don't go calling the cops that Rick wants the first lady dead. No, I don't want her dead. 
I just, you know, think she had a responsibility there as his wife, and she didn't. Speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. Boy, isn't that the case? We've been there. You know what that means? What's your natural reaction to an atrocity done by the government? Arr. God says, no. You're a saint. You're, you're mine. You're my dearly beloved. Your response ought to be one of, let's pray for him. Let's think about this. Let's have a, have a proper response. Let's be subject to. Let's obey. And there's, gonna, there's a reason, and we'll have to get into it next time. Because I want you to see, look at 1 Peter 2. Now, think about how awful we have it. You know, it's funny. I saw a thing the other day about on Facebook. I guess it would have been Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or one of those other little wonderful social media flat platforms. And it says, there's a reason why the caravans are coming to America and not Venezuela. Okay? So as bad as we think it is, you have to remember that in the world it is far worse. And we're still that light of freedom on a hill that everybody wants to come to. Okay? So you have to remember perspective, citizenry perspective. There was a thing done years ago back when, uh, well, it would have been over 20 years ago, when we went into the Afghan war that in most Muslim countries, the people love the West, therefore the government hates the West. If the government loves the West, the people hate the West. And it's true. And it played out. That study was written back in the early 70s. And it's true even more today. So when you think about, you know, how, oh, it's so awful. Well, just think it's worse somewhere else. <laughs> okay? I think about Ethiopia and places like that in Africa where you can't even, if you sneeze wrong, they're going to get you. And it's too bad. Uh, you found First Peter 2, right? First Peter Peter's writing to the believing remnant, the little flock. He's writing to them about the time that we call the, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation. A most intense time, a future time of us, Hebrews through Revelation deal with it, where they find themselves underneath a government of the Antichrist that is of ultimate brutality. They literally take the believers into the temple, cut their heads off, and have a drink sacrifice right there and then of the blood of the saints. Brutality. No questions, no trial. No, I mean, I know in Revelation there, you're going to be thrown in jail 10 days. That's just to clear up the backlog, by the way, when you study it out. It isn't to give you an opportunity to go before a judge. You, I mean, little flock believer. You have literally Jew turning in Jew, neighbor against neighbor. You have an intense period of governmental oppression. Watch what Peter says to the little flock, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Think about that. For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. Who's the king? That's the Antichrist. Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. By the way, he said, look, look at it. No matter what comes your way, guys, what are you to do? Verse 13. <laughs> you're to submit yourselves. Why? Because there's an understanding that you're to have about why God set up human government. It's not about the people in power. It's not about the type. It's not, about, it's not positional. It's functional. That's the issue. 
The issue is, is God set up human government back with Noah in Genesis 6, and he set it up for the orderly maintenance of humanity, for order, for protection of the issue of the institution of volition, the institution of marriage, the institution of the family. Those three institutions establish social order. And when you attack those, the government, that's the good. The evil is the attack on those institutions. Well, my Second Amendment, your Second Amendment right has nothing to do with anything. It's these three issues here. Human government, nationalism is the fourth institution of creation that God set up for the protection and for the maintenance and the, and the well-being. And Peter looks at them and says, listen, and he says exactly what Paul says in Romans 13. As unto them that are sent by him, verse 14, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God that they, that uh, I'm sorry, that with, that with well doing ye may be, ye, ye may put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and now watch, honor the king. Look at that. By the way, to be subject to, he just defined it for you in verse 17. Honor the king. To be subject to doesn't mean that you love the king, that you're devoted to the king, that you adore the king, that you worship the king. It says you what? You honor the office that he holds. You're honoring the office. You may not have liked Obama, President Obama, but you better honor the office the man holds. You may not have liked President Trump, but you got to honor the office he holds. There's a function. That's the issue here. You follow? So the subject two here is going to get us <laughs> in some trouble if you don't understand that what he's talking about isn't worshiping or adoring or being devoted to, but it's honoring and respecting the office. Come over to 2 Peter 2. Think about what these saints are going to go through in that 70th week of Daniel laid out by the book of the Revelation there. And you know what they're to do? They're to look over there, and they're to look at that, and the king's going to put an edict out that if you take the mark of the beast, you've got to take the mark to buy and to sell. What's the believer going to do? Civil disobedience. He doesn't march in the streets. He's not rioting downtown. He's sitting over there just quietly in his own house, not taking the mark. Why? Because if you take the mark, you're doomed. There's no second chance for that. Revelation 14 is clear on that. What's the Bible believer going to do? I ain't taking that mark, baby. I'm going to sit over here and just be quiet. Find me a food bank or something somewhere. Stock up. See? Not down there. And you know what's going to happen, don't you? There's going to be some dumb thump Jews down there. By the way, go back there to 1 Peter 2. This is how you know this. I'm off my notes now, but that's okay. Look at this. Verse 15. 2.15. 1 Peter 2.15. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of, the, of foolish men. What do they mean? There's going to be some Jews down there protesting the mark of the beast. You're a dummy. You're a foolish man. Now, 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2. Look at verse 9. 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. What's coming out there? We understand it. The believing remnant needs to understand it. There is a day of judgment. Verse 10. But chiefly, now watch this, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Wait a second. Ouch! If you do, he, look, he puts despising government and speaking evil, evil of the dignitaries in the same group 
that's going to go through the day of judgment over there. Ooh, ouch. So what do we have to do here? What do we talk about us? We have to develop the proper response. And we do that by adopting God's perspective. We are to learn the legitimate place that God has for human government. We're not to despise it. Again, it doesn't mean we love the government or worship the government. It just we understand its function. And we do that because God says, I value it. I designed it. I set it up. And our job is to do what he said. By the way, look at verse 11. Watch this. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. You know what? Even the angels don't despise the government. They know better, too. Look over at the book of Jude. Jude 8, 9. The angels don't even attack the government. Look at Jude 8. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, Speak evil of dignitaries. There they are. Yet Michael, the archangel, now he's a top guy. When contending with the devil, he disputed uh, about the body of Moses. Watch. Durst not bring accusation against him, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. You know, here's Michael fighting the devil over the body of, of Moses, and he doesn't even speak evil of the devil. He says, that belongs to the Lord. That's... What a viewpoint. Now, now, so when you come back to Romans 13, that's the point here. The point is, is we have to develop this viewpoint. And as evil as government can be, it's not our place to judge it. It's not our place to avenge it. That belongs to the Lord. Subject two. Now, come over to Luke 2. I'll give you an illustration of what it is to be subject to. Luke 2. Subject to, let every soul be subject unto, it simply means to respect and to honor the office, the institution. That's all that it means. It doesn't mean that you fall in, you're in love with it, you do this. You know, I know believers, they love what's going on right now. They're all on board, 100%. And you go, you know, how in the world can you be that? You know, it doesn't make sense. But you know what? When your guy's in power, you're on board, and they're saying, how in the world can you believe that? No. What are we to do? We're to respect, we're to honor the office, the institution. Now look at Luke 2 and give you a great illustration of what it means to be subject to. Maybe we'll get through this this morning and then we'll be good to go for next time. Subject 2. Luke 2, you start in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. By the way, notice he calls him the child Jesus, and how old is he? Twelve, you know, we call that preteen. There's no such thing as a preteen. They're a child. There's no such thing as a teenage years. They're children in Scripture, okay? There's no such thing as, as you know, a young adult. When you're on time appointed of the Father, you are now an adult, there's not a, anyway. What's going on? They go, he goes into the temple. Verse 45. And when they found him not, they turned back again. I'm sorry, verse 44. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, the amber alert went out, and everybody was looking for Jesus. That's what happened. Hey, here he is. Here's the God man. You can't find him. You left him. Yeah, talking about looking in your back seat when you locked the car up. They forgot to check the donkey wagon. It's not, he's not here. And when they found him not, they, returned, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, he's been gone three days. A day out, a day to look for him, and a day back. 
by the way, three days, interesting idea there. They found him, verse 46, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answer. What's Jesus been doing? He's been sitting down there in with the bigwigs at the temple. Verse, now watch this, verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrow. Now watch him correct her. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Capital F. See, Mary said, Your dad and I have been looking. And he's like, No, he's not my dad. I'm here doing my father's business. Who is he? He's the son of God. Okay, that's who he is. And when they understood not the, the saying, verse 50, which he spake unto them, and, he, and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Now notice verse 51. He, what? And was subject unto them. Now, wait a second. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. He's the God-man. He's the Redeemer, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Avenger. He's all that, isn't he? But what did he just do there in verse 51? He put himself in the proper family order, didn't he? He was subject unto them, Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mom. You see, the Lord understood something. He understood the function of the family. Even though he could have easily said, I'm Jesus and I'm going to do whatever I want to do and there's nothing you can do about it. He didn't do that. He came and he protected the family order. He protected the social order of that institution of the family. He honored and respected the role of his mother and of Joseph being stepdad. He looked at them, and that's what subject to means. I'm going to honor. He didn't lose who he was. He didn't lose in value. He didn't lose his value as a person. He didn't lose who he was. He recognized the importance of the proper order in the family. So when you come back here to Romans 13, and we're over time, but I wanted you to see that. That's what Paul's going to get at. We learn that God has a wise plan for the peace and safety and the maintenance of the order in his creation. And we need to recognize it, we need to believe it, and we need to live in that realm no matter what happens over here in the government. We're to view the government the way God does. First of all, it's not an enemy. <laughs> it's grace and peace. So we're to be subject to for the maintaining of an orderly society. That's number one. Number two, we need to be subject to as believers because of the the ultimate testimony of God's attitude of grace and peace towards the man, towards the world. Again, Paul never addresses the type of government, the people in it, the problems of it, the national interest of them. That's not the purpose in the passage. The proper, the proper, the purpose in the passage is, is that government has been ordained by God. Another reason to be subject to it is that's really the best determinant to governmental opposition <laughs> is to be what? Subject to. You know, you don't want them on your neck, you know, maybe you ought to obey the rules and you'll be all right. And I know what happens. Oh, you just went sheep to the slaughter. Well, well, blow me to glory then, you know. The last issue in really in being subject to it, and we'll see it when we get down there, is in verse 5 but also for conscience sake. 
And that's, a, that's not a clear conscience. That's not having a guilty conscience. That's a conscience for the Lord's sake. And you know what? God told me to do this, so I'm going to do it because he probably knows better. And I'm just going to be that simple believer in his word and let it be. Okay? All right. And a very, by the way, page eight. Okay? Very emotional subject. Very, and I get it, and we'll get into verse one and some of the details next time, the higher powers. But it's something that you have to have that proper perspective about, and that's God's perspective. I know believers that are in politics, that hold offices, wonderful people, and they do the best they can to stay out of the fray. And subsequently, a few of them have retired from the fray because it's just gotten so bad. But hey, you know, and they, they're back down really in city-level government because they can do more good and so forth there than they were able to do at the national level. Okay? So you have to understand that. But you know who made that decision? They did. I didn't make it. They didn't make it. Nobody called them up. Hey, you dirty, rotten rat. You know, get out of there. If you're a believer, you shouldn't. No. They made those decisions. Why? Because God says, here's the purpose. Understand that. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for all the spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for everything that you've given to us. And Lord, I just pray that the word would be instructive to our hearts, and as we go day to day, that we would just apply it to those details. In your name we pray. Amen.